At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hour three of the nightcap here, live from the Circus Sportsbook. That's Scott Seidenberg at Scott's On Air. At 1-2 Murray is where you can find me. JVT, our senior NBA analyst, will join us momentarily, get his thoughts on what we saw tonight in Phoenix, as the Suns take game one by a final of 118 to 105, the total goes over, and Phoenix able to cover uh, the five and a half, five, four and a half, six and a half. <laughs> it was all over the place with the late news uh, of Giannis coming in, uh, but the Suns uh, really, I would say, for the most part of the night, um, not that much of a doubt. Uh, they cover the first half, they get a tip in. Uh, I know that. Uh, the Tory Craig kit tip in was important to some, including uh, our own Mitch Moss. On the positive side, uh, now Will Hill, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about that in treats and beats. It may have affected the total, but they cover the first quarter, they cover the first half, Scott. Mm-hmm. They cover the full game, they cover the second half line. Uh, they get it done tonight, and uh, just an impressive performance. And you know, we we've speculated on we won't see it tonight. I wouldn't imagine. Um, but the adjusted NBA Finals MVP odds, uh, especially with a series price now at the Westgate Superbook of Suns minus 350. Chris Paul, he's definitely going to be odds on. My guess was minus 150. It might even be shorter or it might even be you know, more uh, uh, towards you know, minus 200 range because you think about where they were as a series price heading into tonight. Um, you know, minus 200 was the peak. Uh, you mentioned when Giannis was... Met, uh, uh, announced back in here at Circa was minus 170 plus 150 for the Bucks. Chris Paul was, you know, plus 165 you said here at Circa. So yeah, you're probably looking minus 150 or so especially with a 32.9 assist performance in game 1. Uh hard to imagine uh that the books will uh, not be protecting themselves with Chris Paul in the MVP market. I, I would imagine now it might you might actually get some decent value if you want to put something on Devin Booker uh, here after this Chris Paul game one performance. He was what plus two forty, I think, before the series started to win the MVP award. Uh, as uh, it was plus one sixty for uh, Chris Paul as the favorite as of today. So maybe if you like Booker, look, he had a very good performance here in, in this game. Uh, a twenty seven point performance overshadowed by Chris Paul's 32-point performance. So maybe if you still like Devin Booker to score more than Chris Paul and exceed uh, the stats, and if the Suns win this series, you could probably get better value now on Devin Booker after this Chris Paul Game 1 performance. Yeah, and that's something to look at. You know, uh, Devin Booker didn't play poorly, but certainly didn't go uh, crazy in this game at 27. I think he missed his first seven threes before hitting one, so he went one of eight from three. So you've seen Devin Booker go nuts. I mean, my question would be, how does this series play out? I mean, that's what we all want to know, Yeah, obviously. Uh, but if this is a, a five-game situation, I feel like the the lead that Chris Paul has now put himself in, uh, you, you need to see some pushback here from the Bucks, which I think you will get. This isn't going to be a sweep, in my opinion. I know you, I think you're a little bit more bullish on the Suns uh, than I am. Um, but Suns and five. Yeah, I think it's you know I think it's Suns and six, I, and okay. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks uh, maybe take game two. So we'll see. I, I haven't decided how I'll play. Actually, 
The only thing I liked was the under in that one. I mean, you, you think about where we started game one, a total of 217. Now, it got bet up as high as you know 220 and a half in some spots, mostly 219 and a half. And now we open up game two at 221 and a half. So a four and a half point adjustment with Giannis back in the lineup. We'll talk to JVT about this, but I, you know, I, I went ahead and played the under at 221 and a half, and that's where we are pretty much market wide, either 221 or 221 and a half. Uh, I would lean under. That would be the play here. I mean, look at the, the way that the Bucks and, and the Suns shot today. Uh, the Bucks was 16 of 36 from three point range. The Suns uh, 11 of 34, and the total was, uh, you know, pretty close to that 221. Uh, just barely going over that here in this game, and I would expect a closer game in Game 2, which would lead, uh, in my opinion, to the under. So once again, uh, the Suns take care of business, winning by 13, and they cover all numbers out there. Huge game from Chris Paul, monster game from DeAndre Ayton, and uh, we'll get a full recap of this one. Look ahead to Game 2. JVT, our senior NBA analyst, will join us in just a moment. It is the nightcap here on VEASAN, hour number three. We've got game one of the NBA Finals in the books with the Phoenix Suns. Triumphant, 118 to 105. The total of 220 and a half or 219 and a half, depending on where you looked. That was the closing number. That goes over. The Suns able to cover every number out there as high as six and a half when Giannis was expected to be out. Closed as low as four and a half. And they cover all those numbers with a 13-point win. And let's bring in JVT, our senior NBA analyst. JVT, something that you had talked about. And I, I went ahead, and as soon as 217 was posted, I played over. Just because of what we had talked about and really what you had pointed out. And I just followed the trend of how the Bucks play without Giannis defensively. And then Giannis is in the game, and you see the total continuing to trickle up. I almost for a moment thought about playing an under to maybe see if we could middle the situation. Um, thanks to a big third quarter, we saw, uh, we saw the overcome, but how do you feel like with Giannis and the way that he looked tonight, how do you feel like these totals will be uh, for the remainder of the series? Yeah, yeah, I think you, you want a little bit more explosiveness out of Giannis on the offensive end, uh, Tim, right? You know, 6 of 11 from the floor, twenty only 20 points uh, for the game itself. Remember, he averaged 40 in the two regular yep. season matchups against this team, and you saw little spurts of it, right? There were a couple of mad times where he got DeAndre Ayton on him, and he either blew by him or got him in the low post and finished and got some good looks. So, you know, as he gets a little bit more comfortable on that knee, I think you see some similar offensive output. But from the, the perspective of the total, look, I wrote about this. I, I'm coming into this series thinking that this is going to be a higher-scoring series overall with or without Giannis on the floor. You know, these are two teams, guys, that, that really match up well with one another on the other side of the floor. You know, we saw Phoenix. I tweeted it out. The Bucks switched everything. It didn't matter, right? The Bucks went back to that drop coverage. It didn't matter. Chris Paul, with the way he could exploit all of those, right, whether it is going to be the drop coverage in the second they went to it, he just took Brooke Lopez for a ride, found a spot on the right side, and, and drained a mid-range jumper. Or when they're switching everything, it didn't matter. He found an open look. He found somebody on the floor that was, of course, a better matchup option for him. So from, that's, the, uh, that's that perspective, right? 
The Suns also, from a perimeter defense standpoint, I wrote about this, were very Knicks-esque throughout the postseason, giving up a very high rate of wide-open looks, but opponents not hitting them. And what happens in this game? The Bucks shoot 44% from three. I think that's going to be something that can kind of continue here against the Phoenix Suns. And they'll shoot much better, the Bucks will, you know, within four feet of the basket. As a team today, and that ties in with Giannis, Tim, uh, they went, what, 13 of 21, so we're talking about 61.9%. They should be much better than that as the series goes along. So, you know, I, I didn't really see much going forward to deter me off of the thought that this is going to be a higher-scoring series. Now, I know I saw one total open up 221.5. I think I saw on your screen, guys, or is it 219.5 over at FanDuel? Uh, that 219.5 would be somewhere I would play because I think we're going to start to get in the 221.5-ish range, and that's probably where it should be. But if we're getting under that 220 mark, it'll still be a play on the over for me. You know, you mentioned the, the three-point shooting from the Bucks, which was much better in this game than it has been this entire postseason. I mean, they've been historically bad, uh, JVT, this postseason, 31% from beyond the arc, but 44 or so, almost 45% tonight. And you do expect that to continue? No regression to as bad as they've been throughout this postseason? You expect it to continue to rise here against the Suns? Yeah, no, I mean, not 44.4%, right? But, like, you know, remember, this is a team that shot 38.8% from three in the regular season. You know, a team that ranked in the top half of the league. I think they were 11th, if I remember correctly, in terms of frequency of three-point shooting as well, uh, the amount of three-point shots that they take. This is a good three-point shooting team. And, yeah, you know, they had not shot the ball, or the ball well in the postseason. But if the Suns are going to continue to give up and wide, give up wide-open looks like they have throughout this postseason, you know, eventually in a best-of-seven series, you know, Tim knows this. I talked about this in that Knicks and Hawks series, right? The Knicks were getting extremely lucky throughout the regular season, giving up wide-open looks to opponents. Over the course of a best-of-seven, though, it's hard to keep getting away with that when the opponent is the same, you know, finding those same looks. And sure enough, the Bucks exploited that a little bit today. So, yeah, do I think they're going to shoot 40? Four percent through the series? No, but do I think they'll be able to maintain like a 38-ish percent from beyond the arc look here against the Phoenix Suns? I do believe so. Talking once again to JVT, Jonathan Von Tobel, our senior NBA analyst at me, JVT on Twitter, Chris Paul, um, him from the mid-range, it, it, it is... It's remarkable, and I know analytically speaking, yep. it is not. Uh, it no, is it's not the worst shot in it, basketball. It's not too. a very uh. good shot, but man, when you make it at the clip that he hits it at JVT. But you, in the third quarter, they just crushed them uh, because they went to that drop coverage uh, there on the pick and rolls. What can Milwaukee do? Because you mentioned, you know, if they if they hedge hard, then Chris Paul finds the open man rolling to the bucket, whatever it is. So you know, from what we saw in Game One, what do you think Mike Budenholzer can do to to alter or to affect Chris Paul off that pick and roll? Now, I, I will really quickly, Tim, as an analytics nerd, remind you, the mid-range shot is not a terrible shot. You want your stars to have an elite mid-range game. It's about the ancillary pieces and eliminating the mid-range shot from their repertoire. So let's, you know, let's remember that as we go forward here. No, uh, <laughs> look, I think this was a game. Uh, this was a game, guys, and like this was a performance, and I think this is kind of a series, right? It goes back to the analysis on this being a higher-scoring series where, you know, the Suns just match up well with the Bucks defense. You know, this was, you know, it's funny. I saw a lot of, oh, dear God, like, bud, what are we doing? you got to play Giannis at the five. Well, this is a series where they missed Dante DiVincenzo, like, yep. big time, right? Mm-hmm, because yep. when you're playing, I was texting with Mitch Moss about this earlier, you know, when you're playing Giannis at the five, you have to add another guard to the lineup. Because if you don't, you're talking about five guys on the floor in Giannis, P.J. Tucker, Bobby Portis, right? Like, where's the ball handling coming from if you're playing those guys, right, on top of a Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday? 
Holiday. Holiday's the only guy that can really handle the ball at a high level, and they may be honest a little bit, but like, right? So they missed Dante DiVincenzo a lot. So from a defensive standpoint, Tim, like, you know, you could switch everything, but then you're going to find mismatches. And remember, DeAndre Ayton got off to a good start in this game because they were switching everything, and Chris Paul was like, sure, I'll find you in the low post. I'll throw it up to you in a little bit of an alley-oop, all these sorts of different situations. And then when they switched to that drop coverage, he destroyed them there too. So I just think that, like, are we going to get like a 76% shooting performance again at the rim for the Phoenix Suns? Probably not. And 60% on corner threes, they were three of five, right? That's a really high rate. But at the same time, just overall, the, the same thing for Milwaukee, but for the Suns specifically, since you asked me about it, like, I don't know if this is a can we stop them type of series because I just think they match up really well with Milwaukee wants to do, no matter what it is. You know, you mentioned DeAndre Ayton, and I was all over his point total here, JVT, at 15.5, because if you look at the five games coming into tonight that he has played against the Milwaukee Bucks and Brooke Lopez, Ayton has averaged 18.6 points per game in those performances, scored 20 a couple of times, never scored below 17 points, so I thought 15.5 was very generous. He had 10 points Halfway through the second quarter, finished the first half with just 10 points, but finished the game with 22 points and 19 boards against Brook Lopez and the Bucks. Do you expect the Suns to continue to exploit this mismatch? In my opinion, it is Aiton versus Lopez. And I don't care what people say about, oh, a stretch five and Lopez is going to pull Aiton away from the basket. I still think Aiton physically is more gifted than Lopez and has the advantage that the Suns should continue to take advantage of. Well, and, and even then, right, like to your point, that, that's more of a, a, a Lopez on offense, Aiton on defense mm-hmm. matchup, right? When you're, what you're talking about in terms of a point total perspective, yeah, you're right. And I, I think this really depends in terms of Aiton and going over these point totals is it, what Bud's going to do from a defensive standpoint, right? Do you, I, I could see a scenario where in game two, they come out and they dedicate themselves to, okay, let's play this drop coverage again, right? Let, you know, let's, get, let's get away from these lobs. Let's not allow DeAndre Ayton because you know, part of the reason why he went over this total, you know, he had some pretty good possessions against Lopez, uh, but a lot of them were matching up on smaller guys, getting P.J. Tucker on him, getting Chris Middleton on him, you know, that little push shot that he has developed and he has started to hit. He did a lot against the Clippers on smaller matchups, and he did it again a couple of times here. So I'm curious, you know, if Bud decides to go back to the drop coverage and protect the rim quite a bit and go back to what they've done throughout the entire year, then I think that kind of, it doesn't eliminate Aiton, but it makes it a little bit harder in terms of his ability to score. This switching matchup worked really well for them, and it's what makes Monty Williams and the Suns, I think, so special at this point, because they will see what you are doing, they will dissect it, and they will go after it, right? So I, I th- I'm really curious. I think Aiton's performances from a point perspective are really reliant on how the opponent, in this case Milwaukee, is going to handle things from a defensive standpoint. So if they keep switching, those are going to go over. And also if they keep switching too, remember he had 19 rebounds today too. And like that's something in terms of a prop as well for DeAndre Ayton in terms of rebounds per game, you know, going over those. If you're going to see a lot of this, you know, switching ability, the switchability here from Milwaukee, switching everything that they're seeing, you're going to see a lot of rebounds for Ayton as well. So those double-double props, over on rebounds, over on points of rebounds, those things will be pretty alive if we keep to see if we see this switch everything type of style from Milwaukee for the rest of this series. Talking once again to JVT. JVT looking at uh, Drew Holiday tonight. Uh, poor shooting performance for him, and I, I think you and many others uh, pointed out the Eric Bledsoe comparison. You see my meme? <laughs> was it the? Was it? I saw one meme, which was uh, which was the Scooby Doo meme. Was that you? That was me. There you go. I saw it. Yeah, it was making its way around Twitter. Look at you making memes. Uh, but 
was this just a bad performance? Is this a bad matchup? Giannis being back, you know, when Giannis was was out games five and six against Atlanta, he averaged 26 points uh, per game and and uh, hit you know three and a half threes per game in that in those uh, situations. Averaged 11 assists. Now he had nine assists tonight. So well, what do you make of tonight's performance? Is it a bad matchup with the backcourt of Phoenix, Giannis being back, or just do we chalk it up to this a poor performance overall from Drew Holiday? I mean, I think you got to go like this is holiday right now, right? I mean, if you, you know, I'm looking at his postseason game log coming into tonight, guys. We're talking about 42% from the floor, 29% from three. You know, we'll be generous, 29.9% from three. From an offensive standpoint, Drew Holiday has not had much to offer in this postseason, only 17.5 points per game. And sure, you know, he's a solid facilitator, averaging 8.5 assists per game through the postseason up to this point. But from an offensive standpoint, he has had nothing. And I make that joke because for those who don't remember, they traded for Drew Holiday because they wanted a better shot creator than Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe got destroyed in his years in Milwaukee in those postseason series because he had nothing to offer from an offensive standpoint. Yet here we are again, a guard that has some really good defensive capabilities but has not been providing anything from an offensive standpoint. So Milwaukee's just stuck here in this kind of a rut, right? It's why you see such a poor offensive performance overall today from Milwaukee because you, like, you need something else from Drew Holiday to at least get this offense going. Giannis is great, but you need something from your lead ball handler, and they just haven't gotten it. So, Tim, like, I don't think it's a matchup because, I mean, look at it. You're playing Miami, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and now Phoenix. This stretch and has carried on here for Drew Holiday. So, at this point, I don't know if you want to call it the yips. I don't know if you want to call it just a poor stretch of games, whatever it is. Like, I just – Danielle said it today on My Guys of the Desert where, like, how can you rely on Drew Holiday up to this point when – through, what are we talking now, 17, 18 postseason games, if you include today, he's giving you tw- less than 30% from three and 42% from the floor. JVT, do you expect the Sarge injury, should he miss uh, an extended period of time here and not be able to come back in this series to have an impact on the Suns' rotations? Now, it didn't really matter tonight, but moving forward, do you think it will? Yeah, I think that that's, that's going to be the fascinating part, right? Because when you look at their front court depth, so after Sarge... I guess we're getting Frank Kaminsky minutes, right? <laughs> like there's, there's really nothing going for this front court and at center, right? Because you know, and look, Frank Frank Kaminsky has been kind of an afterthought in this postseason, mainly because he's kind of a defensive liability. You know, he started their first game back in February against Milwaukee, but he's not a postseason player, right? He can be exploited, and in a postseason, as we usually see, where matchups are hunted, he's going to be hunted. So I think what's going to be really fascinating from that standpoint of Sarge is not able to go, and it did look scary, right? It looked like a non-contact injury immediately went down. If you don't really like seeing that in any way whatsoever. And for a Suns team that is already thin in terms of their rotation, you know that's a really big problem, I think, for Phoenix when it comes to some of those bench minutes, right? Like if Milwaukee is downed in those minutes, those are going to be the minutes where you start to see right that comeback begin for Giannis or in the Bucks, right? I think maybe that affects a Bobby Portis type, right? If we're, if we're going forward here and we're talking about player props Again, a Bobby Portis could really thrive in those minutes if Sarich isn't out there because you're going to be taking on either some small lineups or a Frank Kaminsky type who you can totally take advantage of if you're Bobby Porter. So I don't know if big picture in this series, it's going to affect much. You know, look, we saw the minute totals today. Booker played 42 minutes. Chris Paul played 37. DeAndre Ayton played 39. It's the finals. And I think these minutes are going to ratchet up for the starters because they want to win a championship. They're only three wins away. But I think some of those bench minutes and some of those player props now get more intriguing, especially around a Bobby Porter's type. JVT, just uh, first blush, and I know you've, you've got to kind of crunch the numbers, um, but, you know, we see a total uh, open 217 uh, for game one with the thought that Giannis wouldn't play, 
and then opens game two, 221 and a half. Uh, a spread of five and a half, uh, where it closed at four and a half. So anything jump out at you when it comes to uh, a side or total for game two? You know, I think coming back with Milwaukee in game two sounds kind of intriguing, Tim. You know, like I said, like if you're looking at some of the numbers, you know, Milwaukee going 13 of 21 within four feet of the basket, it, you would expect that that doesn't happen again, right? You would expect that Giannis Antetokounmpo is not going to only take 11 shots right now. Again, that's the, it's a very mysterious factor because Giannis is injured. But, like, just the passive nature somewhat of Giannis, and they did a really good job, Phoenix, give them credit. Anytime he got within four feet, there was a lot of, you know, let's get you to the free throw line, big guy, and let's see how you're doing there. And he right. went seven to 12. So there was a lot of that going on. But I do think that Giannis is not going to have a passive performance like this again. And so that would lead me to think that the Bucks are going to be relatively live. Because, like I mentioned, the three point shooting, I think, maintains itself as you move forward. A guy like Chris Middleton had a really good night, could still have another guy's solid night. Drew Holiday is good for maybe one or two playoff performances, potentially, even though the large sample size says no. So I, I would expect the market is probably going to get pretty strong here on Phoenix, given what we saw. And if you can get like six, maybe hold out for a six and a half, I would think that that is going to be a side that I'd be on. Because, you know, five and a half, six was a number I thought it was going to be with no Giannis, right? right? So with Giannis on the court and a game under his belt, I think it sets up for a bounce back spot for Milwaukee. He's JVT. You see him everywhere. Read his stuff, vcin.com, and a meme creator as well. <laughs> JVT, appreciate it, man. You got it, guys. Thank you for having me. There he is, at me, JVT, on Twitter. The Suns win game one, and I'm kind of with JVT. We'll see uh, yeah. We'll see how the market uh, reacts, but such a great performance. You know how I like to bet. When everyone's going one way, you go the other. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if this market moves uh, in the favor of the Milwaukee Bucks. But right now, a five and a half point dog in game two. Treats and beats where I think apparently I'm just going to let Scott go for the entire segment. It's the Nightcap here on Visa. You know, it's that time of show, Scott, where we either put a big smile on our face or we get grumpy. And, you know, for the most part today, I would say we were, we were pretty happy with everything yeah. that happened in the NBA. But there was a moment while this game was wrapping up, while the NBA Finals Game 1 was wrapping up, and both Scott and I, I didn't know, I don't know all of the extent of Scott's play. You know, he's in town. He's, he's firing away down at the circuit counter. And uh, I, I knew about his, you know, DeAndre Ayton prop and laying the points with the Suns. Uh, first, Suns first half. First half. Yeah. You know, we're feeling good. The over hits. Canadians last night. And, and, lightning know, tomorrow. You're, you're, you're grinding. You're then, you, then, right. then I notice you're grinding your teeth over there just yeah. in, in anger. You're like, ah, sw swing of swing of money. So what happened in what, the Reds-Royals game? Yes, uh, Cincinnati Reds against the Kansas City Royals, and the Reds jumping out to a 5 nothing lead in the first four innings. You're feeling really good about this game, uh, having bet the Reds uh, as a small favorite. After seven innings, it was a 6-1 to one baseball game in favor of the Cincinnati Reds. Andrew Benintendi hits a two-run home run for the Royals in the bottom of the eighth inning, so it's now a 6-3 to three ball game headed to the ninth. Okay, the Royals fell to score, and now we go, excuse me, the, the Reds fell to score, and now we go to the bottom of the ninth where the Reds hold a 6-3 to three lead. 
And um, if I may, I'd like to just go through a play-by-play of the bottom of the ninth <laughs> inning. For... So, all right, so just, just refresh my memory. Reds are up 6-3. Six 6-3. To six to okay. 6-3. to three. Heading into the bottom of the ninth. Bottom of the ninth. Okay. Okay, Brad Brock in, uh, on the mound. All right. All right. O'Hearn walks. Pride of Monmouth, right? Yeah. O'Hearn walks. All right, yeah, run, run first. Dozier is then hit by a pitch. So now it's first and second. Taylor then reaches on an error by Eugenio Suarez. O'Hearn to second on the error. Taylor, or, or, or O'Hearn, excuse me, scores on the error. Taylor is now safe at second, and Dozier safe at third. So now one run is in because of the error. Nobody out, and it's second and third. So now Heath Hembry's going to come in to pitch. Okay. Solaire strikes out. We're off to a good start. Good bullpen uh, move here. We, we're good. There's one out. Lopez then singles. Dozier then scores on an error on the play on the throw. Taylor scores on the error on the throw. Two errors. Same play. Lopez to second, and then Lopez safe at third on a throwing error by the left fielder. Two errors. Same play. Two-run score. Now it's a 6-6 ball game. Whit Merrifield walks. Merrifield goes to second on defensive indifference. And then Andrew Benintendi strikes out. Two outs. Maybe we can get to extra innings here. But because it's second and third, the outfield playing a little bit, uh, you know, maybe not as deep. I don't know why. Um, and Perez singles in the game winning run. Salvador Perez wins the game. Royals score four runs in the bottom of the ninth on three fielding errors by the Reds. And a 6-3 lead going to the bottom of the ninth turns into a 7-6 Royals victory. That, my friend, is a beat. And you had Cincinnati? Cincinnati on the money line. Yeah, that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. Uh, Royals went off plus 143 here at... Uh, or plus 139 here at Circa. So, uh, if you had Royals, congratulations. A, a nice victory for you. Uh, not not so much for, for Scott. Over now, here. also, speaking of beats, uh, for the <laughs> second straight night... The, now, keep in mind, Angel Stadium in Anaheim is the best over ballpark so far this season. Like It's been playing a lot of runs being scored. Uh, the total last night was 10, and it finished at 9. In that game, though, Kike Hernandez robs a three-run home run. Glo- we're talking glove over the wall, robbing a three-run home run. And then there was also a runner thrown out at home plate, which was originally called safe, overturned by replay. So four potential more runs could have scored in that game. That's not to include all the runners left on base and missed opportunities. Tonight, the total is 8.5. The Angels have a 5-2 lead in the top of the ninth inning. This game likely going to end at under 8.5. There was also a two-run home run robbed here with the player sticking his glove (laughs) over the fence. That two-run home run counts. It's a different ball game. We could have hit the over, but looks like a second straight under for the Angels and the Red Sox. Yeah, five to two right now in LA. You got to stop playing those overs, man. Home runs being robbed, and there's nothing I can do. The ball's supposed to go over the fence. <laughs> uh, oh, that's Scott Seidenberg. It's good to have him in studio. It cheers me up, even though he's losing bets. It, it cheers me up. Uh, it's the nightcap here on Visa.
Verizon is your betting headquarters for UFC 264. We're bringing you in-depth analysis of the McGregor-Poirier main event, plus key bouts on the undercard from our full team of experts, including Lou Finicaro, Reed Kuhn, and Jordan Sherwood. Sign up for your free VEASAN newsletter to receive our digital guide, and tune in Saturday at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific for First Strike, our live preview show hosted by Dave Farah and Matt Brown with live updates from all of our fight experts. Get everything you need for betting UFC 264 and sign up now for a free, yes, free UFC 264 betting guide. Head to vcin.com backslash free. It is the nightcap here on vcin. We'll get to game five of the Stanley Cup final when we close out the show, uh, we'll keep you updated on on all of the games going on in Major League Baseball right now. As uh, you you pulled a a card out of uh, out of my playbook, <laughs> betting against your team that the old happiness hedge. And I, I you know, look, I, last night when I was driving home, betting against my Nats. Sure, I was uh, I was dreading the one run loss because that would have meant a losing bet and my team lost. Ultimately, they won seven to five. And I texted producer Aaron Oster, who uh, who was at the game, and I said, you know what, I'll clean it up a little bit because there may have been an expletive in there. But I said, eh, I'll take the win. I'll take the win, <laughs> the old happiness hedge. So you bet against your Yankees tonight, mm-hmm. and uh, the Yankees are doing some damage against the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, and, and it's uh, not indicative of what the Yankees have been doing this season. And I bet against the Yankees, not on the money line, I bet against the Yankees on the run line. Mm-hmm. So I thought there was a way that I'd be doubly happy, yeah, you where like, you know, I, the, the, Yankees yeah, would win, yeah. the Yankees would win by one, and the Mariners would cover the one-and-a-half run line. And the reason why I did that is because the Mariners are actually the second-best team in Major League Baseball on the run line this season, 48 and 37, but 19 and 8 on the run line as home dogs. That's going to be 19 and 9 after tonight, as the Yankees are up 9 nothing uh, in this ball game. Uh, the Yankees, meanwhile, 13 and 20 on the run line as road favorites. 28 and 48 on the run line as a favorite overall. So now we'll, we'll make that 14 and 20 after tonight, and uh, 29 and 48 uh, after they cover this run line tonight. I mean, well. Listen, the game's not over. Crazier things have happened. As uh, Aaron Oster said, baseball is stupid. So, uh, you know, you never know what could happen throughout the rest of this game. But, listen, the Yankees have not been good this season on the run line. They have not been good as a favorite. And uh, Jamison Tyone has not been good this season either. Uh, but he has pitched very well tonight against this Mariners team. Yeah, so uh, right now 9 nothing there. The Padres leading uh, the Nats 6-4 to in the top of the seventh inning. That is another uh, over situation out in San Diego. You got there uh, with uh, with relative ease last night with a 7-5 game, and now uh, in uh, San Diego tonight already gone over 6-4. to The Padres do lead the Nats right now by that score in the top of the seventh inning. And uh, Seattle and San Francisco, Johnny Cueto got hit up pretty good early in this one. This game already gone over as well uh, with the uh, the Cardinals leading the Giants 6-3 to three in the bottom of the eighth mm-hmm. inning there. All right, going back to the NBA Finals real quick. And, uh, you know, this is something uh, just to keep in mind. And Giannis tonight, uh, you know, talking to JBT, early on in that game, and especially, you know, you and I being, you, know, you played the full game. I, I just played the first half in favor of the Suns, but early on in that game, seeing Giannis showing that athleticism, that burst, Scott, I felt like, uh-oh, 
This mm-hmm. is this is going to be an issue. This is a guy. Remember, as has been brought up many a time, averaged forty points in the two games against the Suns this year, and then clearly there was something there hindering him. But he said he felt no pain tonight, telling reporters, and he said he can't predict how he'll feel tomorrow, but he does expect to feel better in game two. And you know that's why that's this is something I'm very gonna. I don't know what the buy point is, Scott, for me taking the points with the Bucks. Uh, in this game, game two, six and a half would be great. I don't know if we get there right now, sitting at five and a half, pretty much market wide. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I'm racing to to grab the points, but I do think this is a situation where the Bucks bounce back. But I, I would say to play devil's advocate, and if you want to play the Suns, you pointed this out. You know, the Bucks, a team that shot 31 percent have been shooting 31% from three. Actually shot pretty well tonight mm-hmm. from three and still lost by 13. But I, I think Giannis can take advantage uh, if he's healthier of some defensive mismatches. So for, if you're up to getting around six and a half, if the market moves that way, I think that could be a potential buy spot for the Bucks for me. Uh, I just there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to make me want to bet the Bucks. Uh, the Suns, <laughs> 33 and 11 straight up at home this season, 27 and 17 against the spread at home this year, and you know that's not including uh, you know what happened here in this game. We talked about all the game one stats with the Bucks uh, losing game ones in the postseason and the NBA final stats. Right, we mentioned it last night since 2002, 2003. Uh, team, the home game in game one of the NBA finals has gone 16 and two, now 17 and two straight up 15 and 3 now 16 and 3 against the spread uh I just really like the Suns at home compared to what the Bucks have done on the road this year um and, and you throw in the fact that it's been a poor shooting performance in the postseason from the Bucks I know they were better here in uh this game but I, I just can't get off the fact that you know how the Suns have been at home how poor the Bucks have been on the road uh and how about this a nugget tweeted out by StatMuse the team that scores the first basket of the NBA Finals mm-hmm. has actually lost the last four NBA Finals. Really? J.R. Smith scored the first <laughs> basket in 2017, the Warriors won. LeBron in 2018, and the Warriors won. Steph in 2019, and the Raptors won. Jay Crowder in 2020, and the Lakers <laughs> won. Giannis scoring the first points of the NBA Finals this year. Suns win! There it is. It's over. It's all, all you needed to know. <laughs> First bucket of the of the NBA Finals goes to the Bucks. So there you go, hammer at home. Um, you know, uh, one guy that is uh, that that did not shoot well, and I joked. Um, uh, I do a, a Radiohead every day in Milwaukee, and I joked that Bucks fans are going to hate Jay Crowder. Now it's it. I said it tongue in cheek because he's a Marquette guy. People in Milwaukee like Jay yeah. Crowder, but he he drives both fan bases crazy because. He'll be out there, and Jay Crowder has never seen a three he doesn't like, mm-hmm. and he'll just fire. Tonight he went 0 for 8 from the field. So Suns fans are probably frustrated, but he'll come back to, on, on Thursday, he'll hit five threes. Yes. I mean, that is, <laughs> he just has no conscience. He'll be like, all right, that's fine. Uh, it, I mean, you've seen the way that, you know, he didn't, you know, back down to, to LeBron in, game, in, in that series and was doing the little dance. So, uh, yeah, Jay Crowder, 0 for 8 tonight. He'll hit like three threes. I'm gonna place you play some overs on uh, Jay Crowder threes <laughs> come game two of the NBA Finals. We have game five of the Stanley Cup Final. Will it be a closeout situation for the Tampa Bay Lightning? We'll wrap things up as we turn the page to Wednesday next, right here on the Nightcap. 
all excited. Thought there would be a chance. My Nats. I didn't bet on him tonight. I didn't bet against him tonight. So hey, you know, just just a just a fan. Yeah. Juan Soto struck out with men on second and third, or first and second. So uh, Padres still have that uh, that lead heading into the bottom of the seventh inning. It is the nightcap wrapping things up here on Vison uh, for the evening, and I'm just uh, pulling up the app here to uh, get odds on. The semifinal, the final semifinal for Euro 2020 being played in 2021 is uh, Italy wins in PKs today yeah. over Spain. And let me tell you something. The Italian fans not happy when it comes to penalties because of the history of the Italian national team. I'm sure people still remember Tutto Baggio and missing that uh, penalty in the World Cup. But uh, listen, they've actually been successful in penalties uh, in more recent tournaments throughout their history. The the Azzurri have been the better team this entire tournament. They took the lead. Uh, the lead didn't last long before Spain tied it up, and uh, they went into penalties, and Italy came away victorious. Um, we talked to Patrick Everson yesterday on the show. A lot of Italian money coming in uh, today. The books really needed Spain to win this one, so Italy wins. Uh, they were the second favorite behind France to win this tournament, and I'll just call, say it for what it is. The soccer world wants Italy-England in the final. That's the championship that everyone wants to see. It's in London. It's it's at Wembley. Yep. So England, you know, being there, it would be tremendous for that country. It would be tremendous for, for just the soccer world. Uh, and, and this isn't a knock against Denmark, which has played really well throughout this tournament. And it's a nice story, the fact that they're rallying around Christian Eriksen, the player who collapsed in their opening match. And uh, UEFA has actually um, invited Christian Eriksen to the final. So he will be in attendance on Sunday. They're going to honor him. They're going to honor the first responders that saved his life uh, on Sunday during the final. Um, will Denmark be playing in that game? I don't think so. I think England is the play. England has not conceded a goal this entire tournament. In fact, going back further into World Cup qualifying and international friendlies beyond this Euro 2020, England hasn't conceded a goal in their last seven matches. So I think England wins and they win in regulation and it'll be uh, England against Italy in the final on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. tomorrow, just uh, taking a look at the odds for for the uh, semifinal at Wembley Stadium, uh, Denmark plus 447 to win in regulation, uh, England minus 144, the draw plus 265, over-under sitting at two, uh, as uh, I believe the unders so far at Wembley Stadium um, are, I saw this stat, they are 6-0 and oh mm -hmm. to the under. But, but now, England did just win 4-0 in their last uh, performance, um, so their offense is starting to come together. But yes, they haven't conceded a goal. So uh, I, would, I do like the under. I like a prop bet on betting England to nil mm -hmm. to win the game. You can check out that prop bet. Um, England to advance is too rich. Minus two seventy. Um, to advance is minus two seventy. Yep. I thought it was. Good. I thought it was higher than that. Um, to advance means that it, they can win in, in PKs penalties or whatever, or just, extra time. Just win. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think this game goes to extra time. I would take England to win in the ninety minutes plus extra time. Uh, excuse me, injury time, not extra time. So in regulation only, and that would be at the minus one forty four. And then yeah, England against Italy. Um, it's going to be a very interesting, I know I'm getting ahead of myself because, of course, Denmark could win tomorrow. But if it is England against Italy, you're going to have a lot of public money coming in on Italy because they're a publicly bet team. But England would be playing at Wembley. Right. So they have the home advantage 
it, it would just be incredible. We've seen teams in this tournament playing at home uh, have success. You know, Greece, with the incredible run that they had in the Euro, I believe in 2004, was because they were playing in Athens, uh, and, and it was just a, a tremendous run and unlikely victory for them. Uh, France, I believe, has won on their home uh, field as well. So we'll see if England can, can pull it off there at Wembley. Yeah, so that's tomorrow. Uh, England and Denmark. Denmark, a pretty significant underdog in that one. Also an underdog, the Montreal Canadiens. They won in Game 4. Uh, they they honored the uh, the mayor of Tampa's wishes, and they will head now to Tampa, where you're looking at a pretty juiced-up line at minus 220 in most spots. Uh, you could get it here at minus 215 if you like Tampa just to win. It looks like that's the best price you can find in town. It's here at Circa. Tampa minus 215. Montreal to upset Tampa to force a game six to go back north of the border uh, for Friday night. They are plus 195 to win this game. And then certainly something that we've discussed, uh, Scott, quite a bit is Tampa Bay to win this game on the puck line at one and a half. So that is now plus 130 here at Circa. That's the best price you're going to find in town. Uh, last night you could have found some 135s, uh, but most other spots now at 125. So Tampa, a chance to close it out. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit here tonight. I, I do think Tampa takes care of business tomorrow. Uh, if you just want to be safe and play at minus 215 for them to win this game, uh, uh, just any way possible, whether it be an overtime, by one goal, whatever. Um, it's minus 215, so a decent price to pay. Uh, but, you know, as we've talked about, I, I think final game of the season, if the Lightning have that lead, you're going to see a goalie pulled mm -hmm. out of there. And I, I think Tampa Bay wins this game, and you get a little plus money uh, on the puck line. Yeah, it's been three times this postseason now where the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning have lost a game in which they had an opportunity to close out a series. The prior two times, they won the following game and did close out the series. Um, we'll see what that happens, and I do think it will happen. And yes, the puck line is the way that I'm going to play this game. The Lightning are the better team. They're probably going to jump out to a lead. I do expect uh, them to play aggressive and in front of their home fans with a chance to celebrate which they did not have an opportunity to do last year winning the Stanley Cup in the bubble. They want to reward the fan base. They want to reward the city, and they want to reward themselves because it's an emotional experience winning that Stanley Cup, the hardest trophy to win in all of sports, and an opportunity to win it in back-to-back -back seasons. It's just absolutely incredible, and they are more talented than the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal was not expected to be here at this point. They've had an incredible run in the postseason, but also... It's not a traditional postseason. Uh, both of these teams are in the Eastern Conference, right? There was there was no right. Eastern Conference this year. Uh, you know, it was uh, playing uh, in the divisions that they played in, and you played within your division. And then even in the postseason, the Canadiens, you know, they stayed playing in their Canada division up until the semifinals. So you know, you have to understand, like it, it was a lot. It, it was different than a traditional postseason run. I don't know if the Canadiens make it to the Stanley Cup final if they don't play the Maple Leafs and then uh, the Jets, Jets on their way to the, the, the semifinal. You know, if they had to run through a traditional Eastern Conference playoff, 
they probably would have matched up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we're seeing what happens now. Lightning went up three games to none. Uh, so maybe the Canadians don't make the Stanley Cup final. But yeah, I mean, ta- they, they still did beat the, you know, the odds on favorite yeah, to win course. the Stanley Cup and, and, the, and, and the Golden Knights. Well, the, Colorado was the favorite. So the, well, yeah, once, once, avalanche, out, yes. once the Avalanche mm-hmm. lost, the Knights were Correct. odds on to win the Stanley Cup. So it, it's yeah, been, a, remar- take anything it's away been a remarkable run, yeah. but it was a, it, it was a bad matchup. And, and yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think the Lightning wrap this thing up and uh, end the Cinderella story that is the Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. uh, who were, if you just look at straight wins, only you know, won, what, 44% of their games? They were 24 and 32 because they lost 11 games in overtime this year. Uh, so a hell of a job uh, to get it done. What about the total? I think you like uh, you like a little bit of a higher scoring yeah, game. Yeah, I like over five. And because I see this game playing out much like game three played out where uh, Tampa jumped out to the early lead. Um, and it was a situation where... Uh, you know, they, they scored two goals in the first period, they scored two goals actually in every period. But I do think that ta- that Tampa Bay does jump out to a lead, whether it's 2-1, 2 nothing, And at the end, we will see the empty net for upwards of three to three and a half, maybe even four minutes, depending on the situation. Like Obviously, if it's a power play or if Tampa Bay has the puck in the offensive zone, Carey Price is not going to be able to leave the net. But if Montreal does maintain possession around that three, four minute mark and they're trailing by one or even trailing by two, they will pull the goaltender because it is an elimination game. And therefore, I think Tampa Bay does take advantage of the empty net. We might even see multiple empty net goals here in this game. So I like Tampa on the puck line, and I do like the over five. Yeah, I'll be with you. And that game uh, should be wrapping up about the first hour tomorrow here on the nightcap. So we could have ourselves a Stanley Cup winner uh, come early on in the evening. And uh, Con Smythe, you going with Vasilevsky? Yeah, I think Vasilevsky wins this. What, minus 125 uh, mm-hmm. at Bet Rivers earlier today? Uh, as you could tell by the odds, it, it truly is a two-horse race in Nikita Kucherov and, uh, and Vasilevsky. But, um, you know, at, as, as we kind of discussed earlier in the show, uh, riding the coattails of your of your goaltenders is sometimes the mm-hmm. the way that it's expected. So yeah, I would think Vasilevsky wins this five one final <laughs> over hits. Vasilevsky thirty three saves. Con Smythe winner. There you go. All right, mark it down. Tab it. Whatever you want to do. That's the prediction from Scott Seidenberg. I'll, I'll just say that the Lightning win uh, <laughs> on the puck line. Getting back to the NBA Finals as we uh, wrap things up. Phoenix wins one eighteen to one hundred five. And if you listen to this show yesterday, other shows on the network uh, the past couple of weeks, and you grab Chris Paul to win MVP, you're you're feeling pretty good right now after a thirty two point performance. In game one, uh, I know a good night for you uh, for, for hoops. Good night for me as well. The over hits, first half hits for Phoenix. Uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, props hit as well. So we'll uh, we'll try to run it back. A whole lot of breakdown tomorrow uh, on the show when we take a look at Phoenix and Milwaukee. Your game two lines right now, Phoenix minus five and a half with a total of 221. Uh, and that is up four points uh, from from uh, the opener of game number one. So Phoenix up one game to none. Now minus 350 to win the series. All right, that's going to do it for the nightcap. That is Scott Seidenberg. I am Tim Murray. Thanks to Chrissy. Thanks to everyone uh, behind the scenes. Thanks to JVT for joining the show. Thanks to Sean King as well. We will be back tomorrow, same time, same place, right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. See you, folks.